Okay, good morning. Uh, my name is Amy, and I'm a compulsive eater. Um, and I, I like to say I used to eat compulsively. I no longer do that. Thank you, God. Um, just real briefly, um, I've been in OA since April 22nd, 2002. Um, I was one of those miracles that was struck abstinent the day I walked in. Um, I thank my angel sitting next to me for bringing me in. And um, I'm maintaining about 140 pound weight loss. Um, I don't have any pictures with me, but she can verify. <laughs> um, true story. True story. Um, I, uh, I, um, yes, speak up. Oh, I thought I was speaking up. Um, I might end up standing up. Um, I, uh, I've been a, I've had a problem with food uh, ever since I can remember, and um, OA was the only thing that you know changed that for me. I tried everything you can think of. Um, and I'm delighted to be here with you this morning to talk about step one uh, from the big book. Uh, when I came in, I was very, I feel I was very fortunate because I had people around me that said, get a big book, get a sponsor, work the steps. You know, that was the message I got. Um, and I'm really grateful for that, that I was introduced to the big book early on um, because I feel like my whole life I was looking for a set of directions. Um, I did not know how to live my life, um, not just regarding food, like my whole life was a mess. And the uh, big book was like, oh, okay, I wake up in the morning and I do this, and then I do that. Okay, I can do that. Like I just needed clear, simple directions, and that's what the big book gives me. Um, so I'll start in the doctor's opinion. And, um, you know, here we're talking about Dr. William Silkworth, of course, a, um, a wonderful, humble man who um, had the courage to admit that as a medical doctor, and this was what, in the 20s or, uh, yeah, in the 20s, um, uh, who was able to admit, I'm a, I'm a medical doctor and I don't know all the answers. Um, which, you know, is really a miracle when you stop and think about it for that time frame. Um, even today, uh, actually, you know, I know plenty of doctors today that don't want to admit that they don't know all the answers. They're a medical doctor, and damn it, they know the answer. They know better than anyone. And this guy was uh, able to see that he didn't know all the answers, and that perhaps this group of people that were solving the, their drink problem had more answers than he did, and he was able to be open-minded enough to listen to them. Um, but he also, as a medical doctor, he had observations to make about that. Um, and one of the first ones that he observed was that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. So that's on page XXII um, in the first paragraph there. He's, um, so basically, in so many words, he's saying that not only do we have a, pro a, a bodily problem, but we have a mental problem. So, I mean, before we even get into the main chapters, we're already introduced to this concept that um, uh, alcoholism, you know, for us, compulsive reading has two main components, a bodily component, a mental component. Um, and, but he, he spent a lot of time talking about the bodily component. I guess, you know, he wasn't a psychiatrist. I don't think he was a mental, uh, medical doctor. And so for him, that was more interesting in like trying to figure out what is it that's making these people continue to go back to the drink when clearly that's the last thing they should be doing. 
Um, and he talked about how, um, you know, any picture of the alcoholic leaves out this physical factor is incomplete. And then it explains many things for which we cannot other, otherwise account. Um, and then he's also talking, he also introduced the concept of this allergy that our bodies are allergic, you know, for the alcoholics, they are allergic to alcohol. And for us, we are allergic to certain substances and um, everyone is, you know, probably a little bit different. For me, I know I'm, I'm allergic to almost everything. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, my, my food plan is pretty narrow and I'm okay with that. It's the most freeing food plan I've ever had in my life. Um, because I don't have to think about what to make, what to eat. Like, it's just, it's really simple. Um, but, uh, but this a concept of the allergy is really important because, you know, all of those, I, I said, you know, before I came to OA, I tried everything you could think of to put down the food and um, lose the weight, not have a problem with, not be obsessed with food, and nothing worked. And when I came into OA and got on a food plan, that removed my allergic, you know, trigger foods, it was the first time in my life, any diet, anything that I'd ever tried that I had actually taken out my allergic substances. Um, and so my body was able to start to get clear, which, you know, for me explained a whole lot that no wonder I could never stick to any diet because even though I was on a diet, I was reducing calories, but I was not reducing, or maybe I was reducing the amount of the substances I was eating, but I was not eliminating those substances, those allergic things that were triggering something chemically inside of my body to say more, 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 more. I want more, 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 more. Um, and then at the very bottom of that same page, I love how he says, it is imperative that a man's brain be cleared before he is approached. And to me, that means that um, before we start trying to help other compulsive overeaters, they need to be willing to put the food down. Um, it's really hard to try to get through to someone that's got a head full of food or a belly full of food. Um, and then again, at the, on the very next page, the very last line, um, says, of course, an alcoholic ought to be freed from his physical craving for liquor. Um, and he's talking about before we approach them. Um, and the next paragraph on XXIV says, these allergic types can never safely use alcohol in any form at all. Um, and that was, that's true for me. Like, um, I can't have a little bit of my trigger foods. I just can't. You know, um, and uh, over here, again, when he was talking about, um, you know, that the allergy, what I wrote down in my notes was that moderation doesn't work for a true compulsive overeater. Moderation does not work for me. I tried it um, many, many, many times. For me, I have to be willing um, to take my allergic substance out entirely. Um, and in the beginning for me, that was sugar and flour. Um, now there's many other things that I don't take in, but um, those were enough to clear my body and my brain in the beginning. Um, and then uh, in the middle of that same page, it's when he starts talking about the higher power. Um, and so I firmly believe that 
if I would have somehow stumbled across this uh, food plan that I came in, that I got when I came into OA, and only did that, like, you know, someone introduced it to me as a diet or, you know, something like that, um, I would have been able to do it for a little while, and it might have been easier than the other diet because I wasn't triggering that physical allergy, but sooner or later, I think I would have went back to the food because I didn't do anything to change my mind, and um, I didn't have any kind of spiritual solution. I had no kind of higher power in my life um, until I came into OA. Um, And so, you know, here he just starts talking about, um, in nearly all cases, their ideals must be grounded in a power greater themselves if they are to recreate their lives. So basically, I could just stay on that food plan and not recreate my life. But I needed to recreate my life. My life was a big effing mess <laughs> in all respects. Um, and that, that's really important to me. Um, and then, so then he, he's, he still has that curious mind of the doctor and he wants to know, like, why, why are these people doing this? Why are they drinking? And um, one of the things that he came up with at the bottom of that page was, that essentially we like the effect that's produced. Um, and that that's true. Like, I loved how I felt when I ate. As soon as I put that first bite in my mouth, you know, especially from me, I like the, um, you know, the, to me, the, the phrase, that's too rich, doesn't, you know, doesn't compute. Um, and, uh, like, as soon as that would go in, like, I love that feeling. It was such a high. Um, but then he says... The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it's injurious, they cannot after a time differentiate from the true from the false. So yes, even when I was putting those that, you know, the, you know, the, for me, usually a spoon, not a fork, um, you know, putting that spoon into my mouth, even though the whole time I was going, I shouldn't be doing this. I shouldn't be doing this. Why am I doing this? Um, I I wanted that effect. The effect, the the desire for that effect was stronger than anything else. And um, and uh, you know, at that time, I could not tell the difference between true and false. At that time, it would I would find ways to rationalize. Oh, this is the last time I'm going to do this. Um, I'm only going to take a little bit this time. Oh, it's really not that bad, and tomorrow I'll be better. You know, like all of that stuff that was just nothing but lies. Um, and then uh, I love how he says to them their alcoholic life seems the only normal one um, and I, I, I kind of like chuckle at that like to think like wow he really studied these people like um, that, <laughs> that really was me like I just thought that was normal to have a life of chaos and um, just you know, to always be like lying and cheating and sneaking and all of that. Like, I just thought that's how you got by. That's how you got um, ahead in life. I didn't, you know, and he could witness that in these these people that he was studying. Um, and then he <laughs> talks about when they become restless, irritable, and discontent when they're not drinking. Um, so, you know, for me, like, and this ties back to what I said earlier, you know, if I was to just go on this food plan, um, I would have probably, you know, after the initial, oh, I'm starting to feel better, then I would have really quickly turned into restless, irritable, and discontent because now I'm not getting my dopamine fix. You know, like there's got to be something else to, to replace that. Um, 
Uh, and then at the top of XXV, you start talking about normal, you know, talks about some normal drinkers. Like, you see, we can see other people taking these drinks or, you know, eating these foods with impunity. And we think, why the hell can't I do that? And that was my thought all the time. I, my mom is not a compulsive overeater, but she does like to indulge at times. And I used to, I remember I used, I used to, one of my diets was, I'm just going to eat what my mom eats. So I would watch her. And then I would eat exactly what she would eat. And I was like, okay, I can do this. But then half an hour, hour later, after she left, I'd be back in that kitchen. And I'm like, oh, man, why can't I just have, like, why couldn't I just stop? But I couldn't, you know. Like, she she could take that bite with impunity. I can't. Um, and then it says, after they have succumbed to the desire again, the phenomenon of craving develops. So that's what would happen. So, you know, I was like, okay, I'm just going to do that. And then I'd go take it again, take that other bite, and then I was off to the races. And it's like, oh, screw this. I can't eat like my mom. I'm just going to eat like me. And I'll be fat and happy. <laughs> um, and then uh, he goes on to talk about how unless this person can experience an entire psychic change, there's very little hope of his recovery. Um, and, you know, very early on when I came in, um, I had that like burning bush type of moment. Um, I still remember where I was, where I lived. Um, you know, I was in my bedroom at the time at the house I lived in in Levittown. Um, and I was on my knees and something just came over me and said, you're going to be okay. So I was probably in OA, uh, we'd, we moved, I came in OA end of April. We moved to beginning of May and it wasn't too long after I moved there. So it was probably a month, less than a month in OA. And I was just, you know, really not sure is this the right thing to do? Am I, it, I, it was so, it was a, it was a confusing time for me. Um, but when I had that experience, I felt like, um, and I, I don't want to say that I had an entire psychic change right at that moment, but I had that spiritual experience that said to me, yes, you're on the right path. And I have felt safe and protected ever since. Um, uh, and then in the next, the second paragraph on XXV, where he says, suddenly they, they find themselves easily able to control their desire for alcohol. Um, the only effort necessary being that they required a few simple rules, obviously the 12 steps. Um, and that has been my experience is that, um, you know, when I came in, I, I, um, you know, I had someone that was, you know, had a strong program and that was working the steps and I got around good people, I think, and they said work the steps, you know? And so for me, I feel like that is why when I came in, I didn't, I didn't have the desire anymore. And it was like this. I was easily able to control my desire. I didn't have a desire to compulsively overeat anymore. It was a miracle. Um, but I was also doing the work. I was working the steps. I was going to meetings. I was studying the big book. Um, I was working on that psychic change. Um, <clears throat> uh, let's see. Oh, on the top of page XXVI, um, I love I love when they, he talks about that these people were drinking to overcome a craving beyond their mental control. Um, and so he's still talking about how every time we ingest that allergy, we're triggering, you know, the cravings or whatever. And I love that concept because um, 
it it to me it just takes away all of the shame of like oh I'm a bad person I'm you know why do I do this you know I'm just a glutton like all of that and um, it explains it that uh, to me in a in a scientific more scientific way that. Um, I had a craving that was beyond my mental control. There was nothing I could do about that. There's, there's, I'm not a bad person. I, you know, like I, um, it was something physical. There's a physical allergy in me. And because I was triggering that physical allergy, um, I was trying to overcome a craving that was beyond my mental control. Um, and I love that concept. Um, and then uh, towards the middle of the page, he starts talking about um, the different types of drinkers. You know, the, um, the third paragraph, he talks about the one that's in denial. They can't admit that they um, have a problem. And um, they always believe that once they um, don't have a drink for a little while, then they're going to be fine. Um, and when I was in my diet phases, I, I was that person. I, was always, I always thought each diet, that was it. I'm like, oh, this is it. I'm never going to have to worry about this problem again. Um, and then, you know, when it would all come crashing down, like, what happened? <laughs> you know, like, just that denial of, yeah, there's, there's a bigger problem here. Um, and then in the, the paragraph when he says, there are types entirely normal in every respect except in the effect alcohol has upon them. They are often able, intelligent, friendly people. Um, and my note is, oh, that's me. <laughs> and then, you know, joke. Um, but, <laughs> but I love that. It was like, oh, there, there are people that are normal. They just like to drink a lot. I'm like, yeah, I'm, that's me. And, but I don't know if that's all that true. Um, but then he says, all, all of these types have one symptom in common, that they cannot start drinking. So that means I can't take the first bite. It doesn't have anything to do with the second bite, the third bite, or the 50th bite. It's the first bite. I can't start. Otherwise, I start to develop the phenomenon of craving, and then I'm sunk. Um, and and he says he says it plainly. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. Abstinence. Um, and I inserted from alcoholic foods. Like I have to figure out what my alcoholic foods, and I can't ingest them whatsoever. Um, and for me, I also can't ingest them. Um, I have a friend who says that she doesn't eat sugar in drag. Um, and, and that's me too. Like I can't dress it up and say, oh, well, it's, it's abstinent or it's clean or, you know, I can't. Like I have to, I have to be really clear. Um, that's just the type of compulsive overeater that I am. Uh, and so um, I love that in the very, the last page of the doctor's opinion, he talks about, uh, he says that, um, he hopes that whoever you know comes to read this, even if they start off scoffing at the ideas, that they remain to pray. Um, so that you know tells me that essentially he was he he was a spiritual man, um, and uh, I think that might have been why he was so interested and attracted to this group of um, alcoholics that were solving their problem because they were solving it with a spiritual solution. Um, how much time is it? Okay. So on to Bill's story. Um, you know, Bill, Bill was a very interesting man, um, a very ambitious man. Uh, and even though I don't, I don't think I have half the ambition he did, I still relate to his story a lot. Um, you know, on page one, he, 
talks about how um, he would he imagined he'd be at the head of vast enterprises, um, which he would manage with the utmost assurance, like this just be easy for him. Um, that false pride and he had to be number one. Um, like I, I fantasized about that, but I never really believed it. I think he actually believed it. <laughs> um, but I de definitely identify with his, um, you know, in this on page two when he talks about, I proved to the world I was important. You know, that self-seeking, like what will everyone think of me? Everyone will think I'm so great, I'm so important, like all that. Um, that drove me my my whole life. Like I was so worried about what other people would think. Um, and then he says, um, though my drinking was not yet continuous, it disturbed my wife. And um, we had long talks when I would steal her forebodings by telling her that men of genius conceive their best projects when drunk. Um, and you know that speaks of that denial phase of it's not that bad. You know, um, and, you know, early on in my eating career, that's kind of what I thought. You know, it's not that bad. Like, I can go on another diet, you know, in three months when I'm ready, um, and it'll be fine. Um, uh, so then uh, on page three, again, he starts talking, he talk, talk, you know, he's talk, talking about his career and how things are, are going well or whatever. Um, and, you know, for the next few years, fortune through money and applause my way, I had arrived. And that was the most important thing to him, that he, um, that people saw him as he saw himself, that grandiose, um, you know, big guy, you know, the big shot. Um, but then he says his drinking assumed more serious proportion, continuing all day and almost every night. Well, my eating certainly did that. <laughs> um, and, you know, and I think about my eating uh, history, the only, once I was able to um, be uh, in control of the food that I ate, you know, once I was no longer under my parents' wing, that's what I did that. I ate all day and all night, even when I was on a diet. I'm like, okay, well, I'll only have this much, you know, each time I eat. But then it would, you know, it was like the snacking all day, all day and all night. There was never... Um, and when I came to OA, when they said, we have, you know, three meals, we don't snack in between, that was the first time that that concept had really, you know, um, you know, been introduced to me. Even though my mom um, reduced my, uh, restricted my food at home growing up, I just thought, you know, she, you know, that was just her. Like, that was, you know, she didn't want me to get fat and whatever. I, but, you know, the idea that we don't need to be eating all the time. That was, that was like so foreign to me. Um, and then on page four, Bill starts talking about, um, you know, how the stock market crashed. He's, you know, everyone's losing their money. He lost all his money. Um, and the line that I love is when he talks about people were um, committing suicide over, you know, the great stock market crash. And he says, that disgusted me. I would not jump. I went back to the bar. So, um, you know, okay, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna kill myself today, but I'm killing myself, you know. Um, and again, that denial of what the truth, and not being able to differentiate the true from the false, you know. Um, on page five, he starts talking about how um, 
liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. And so this ties back into the doctor's uh, talk about the physical allergy. And so he was drinking to overcome a craving he could not control. It became a necessity. Um, Nevertheless, I still thought I could control the situation. And there were periods of sobriety, which for me were diets. So yeah, like every time I went on a diet, I thought I've got this licked. I really, I honestly did. Um, and then towards the bottom of the page, he said, oh, I, I saw I could not take so much as one drink. I was through forever. So he realized really early on that he couldn't take one drink. I never realized that. You guys had to tell me that. Um, and, you know, he's he, at the, the bottom of that page, he just t starts talking about, um, you know, was I crazy? Someone had pushed a drink my way. I said I wasn't going to have it, and then all of a sudden I did. And I can relate to that, you know, like going, you know, to a function or something, and someone says, and I'm, I go to that function, I have all the resolve in the world, I'm not going to eat, I'm not, I'm just going to stick to my plan, you know, whatever. And someone would say, oh, but I just, you know, made this such and such. Okay, fine, I'll have it. You know, um, no, and the, to me that is that no mental defense against the first drink, uh, the first bite. Um, and I, and today I do have a mental defense. Thank you, God. Uh, but like that's where Bill was. He's he had no defense against that first drink. Someone handed it to him. He's like, oh, what the hell? And he for, just forgets everything. You know, all his resolve. Um, uh, page six. You know, is basically just him talking about hitting bottom at the bottom of that page when he says then came the night when the physical and mental torture was so hellish I feared I would burst through my window so now he's finally to that point where all the other stockbrokers were you know for a different reason for him um, and uh, that reminds me of when I hit my bottom before I came into OA um, it was the same thing it was a nighttime it was physical mental torture I could not I was, I was, you know, I lost 140 pounds, so I was morbidly obese, but that wasn't bothering me as much as the fact that the obsession of food, I could not stop thinking about food, and it was driving me literally crazy. Um, and I still remember that night when I woke up and I was staring out the window, just crying, like, uncontrollably and saying, what is wrong with me? Why can't I stop thinking about food? Like, what? Like, I, I, it was just, um, it was a mystery to me. Um, and so when he talks about that physical mental torture, I completely understand. Um, on page seven, he says he'd been seriously ill bodily and mentally. Um, so it's there he's reinforcing that concept that, you know, we have a, um, a physical and a mental problem. Um, <coughs> And I, I also like how he talks about how, in that, I guess, the third paragraph, the self-knowledge, and how um, he remains, often remains strong in other respects, uh, but the will is amazingly weakened when it comes to combating liquor. Um, and for me, like that, I could do that. Like I could, I am a very strong-willed person, and um, I'm very, like, once I set my mind to something, that's it, I'm doing it. You know, like, don't get in my way, it's gonna get done. But when it came to food, I couldn't make that happen. And that was all, that was always so baffling to me. It's like, well, I can do anything else I set my mind to. Why can't I do this? And that's, I think, the same thing that he had. And he, um, but then he, he started understanding a little bit more about himself. He's like, okay, now I have the answer. I understand a little bit more about myself. I have this self-knowledge. Um, 
but as we'll see, that didn't do anything either. Um, uh, oh, so then at bottom page seven, he's talking about they're saying he's going to soon have to go to the asylum. That's where I thought I was going to go. Like when I had that night of that low, I thought for sure um, that I was going to have to be committed. Um, and, you know, he says he almost welcomed the idea, and so did I. On page eight, he starts talking about step eight or step one, um, <clears throat> and he says alcohol was my master. You know that's when he you know starts to surrender, um, and then I'm just looking at the time and the rest of this chapter, so I'm just going to skip ahead a little bit. Um, on page twelve, uh, Bill starts talking. He starts talking about the different steps and the solutions that um, he needs to come to. So uh, the bottom middle of page 12, he says, it was only a matter of being willing to believe in a power greater than myself, um, which is step two. Nothing more was required of me to make my beginning. Um, and, you know, it really is that simple. I've, I've seen like step I've seen uh, step two become really complicated for some people. And to me, it's just, can I just believe that um, something more powerful than me exists? Yes. Okay, done. Check. You know, like it really can just be that simple, and it was that simple for Bill. Um, on page 13, he says, Then I humbly offered myself to God as I then understood him uh, to do with me as he would. And he, I placed myself unreservedly under his care and direction. Step three. Um, and then he goes on to talk about how basically, basically steps four, seven, five, eight, um, and how he, he was, I was to test my thinking by the new God consciousness within. Um, so basically is having that psychic change um, and how he would sit quietly with his God and, and that's step 11. Uh, you know, and I think about today, how my mornings are just, my day, I can't say my morning, my day just does not go as well if I don't have a morning that starts with quiet time with my higher power. Like I have to sit, I have to have at least 15 minutes of, you know, reading, journaling, praying, meditating. Um, and I, otherwise I can't, and it's funny, like my, it's like my body, I get out of bed and my body goes right to my spot where I do all of that without even, like I'm not even awake. And it's just, um, but if, and the days when this, I have something like on my calendar where it's like I have to get up and go run out the door really quick, it's like 11 o'clock in the morning and I am so scattered and jumbled and I'm like, what is going on with this day? And then I remember I didn't start my day with my quiet time. It has such a huge effect on me. Um, so I'll just, I'll just wrap up with um, the end of Bill's story here. Um, you know, Bill, Bill was really big on promises, as we all know, from all the promises that are all over the big book. Um, but on page 15, he talks about uh, working with other alcoholics and how when nothing else failed, when everything else failed, like, you know, he was, you know, if any, any, he could try anything else, but if he, it didn't work um, to help keep him sober. Um, but if he worked with another alcoholic, then that would work. Um, and, you know, I had a conversation with my sponsor earlier this week. We are co-sponsors, and she was really struggling with something. And, you know, she went on, she was going on and on and on about this thing. And, 
you know, she got done, we talked about it, and then she said, how are you doing? And then I, you know, started talking about my stuff, and she was like, isn't it amazing? I feel so much better already just listening to what you have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've already forgotten about what I, what I called you about. Um, and it's a, and that is, I, I think that's amazing how that works. It does work that way. Um, uh, and then on the bottom, uh, middle, bottom page 15, it says, the joy of living we really have even under pressure and difficulty. Um, and that is, that is so true. Like, I, that, I think that m- might be one of the biggest promises that have come true for me. It's like, even under the hardest times, one, you know, uh, probably about 10, 12 years ago, my husband and I both um, lost our jobs. Our company we worked for went out of business, and we both worked for the same company. And I found a job right away. My husband didn't find a job for almost a year. It was a, such a hard time. That time brought me closer to my higher power, and I was more at peace and um, had more joy of living than I had when things were prosperous. And that still kind of boggles my mind. <laughs> like, not that things are not joyful when think times are prosperous, but I was such I was at such peace because I spent so much time saying, "Okay, God, you got me through today." And we still have a roof over our head. We, you know, we had food, like all of that stuff. Um, and I just, you know, felt safe and protected. Um, and I love that. Um, and the very last page of Bill's story says, faith has to work 24 hours a day. Um, and that is a great message for me. Like I, I have a timer on my phone that goes off every hour to remind me to plug into my higher power if I'm not already. Um, because... I can't just have my quiet time in the morning and then 24 hours later have another quiet time and have a peaceful life. Like I have to be in my faith, working with my higher power all day long. Um, Otherwise, I do believe that those thoughts of food and um, compulsive overeating will come back um, quickly. Um, That's all I have and now I'm gonna turn it over to Lauren. Thank you. Hi, I'm Lauren. I'm a food addict. Hi, Lauren. I'm really grateful and honored to be here today. Um, and I, God willing, on February 1st, I'll have 21 years of abstinence in OA. Um, I came into OA five years before that time, and um, I wasn't ready yet. So I didn't stay long. I was young in my 20s. And, uh, and then I recognized my powerlessness, thank God, and came back to OA, um, and um, I've maintained approximately a 30-pound weight loss. It, it fluctuates. I was pregnant twice, abstinently, um, resulting in three children, which is still a shock 15 <laughs> years later, um, and uh, and that was a scary period for me as well, getting pregnant, and, and but I stayed with all of you, and this program works, um, and I, I'm just incredibly blessed and um, it is miraculous the whole thing but I, I so I'm here to talk about um, the chapters there is a solution and more about alcoholism and the one thing that sh- struck me as I was thinking about this is the the simple words there is a solution are so much more than simple words the powerfulness of, of reading that hearing that when I came to meetings um, if if I didn't hear that from you why would I have stayed? I needed to have that hope. So the, the you know, brilliance of having a whole chapter devoted to there is a solution um, is so powerful to me. And, um, 
And I'm just so grateful that our, the founders were able to understand that this is what we need. And as I listened to Amy speak, I, you know, recognize that the four chapters we're, we're talking about um, are a bit repetitious, but they need to be. You know, I needed things, I needed things, and I still do sometimes, hammered into my head. I can't hear it once and take it and move on. So that, that's, um, you know, that was one of my realizations as I thought about all this. Um, and then this chapter also, on, right on page 17, it talks about action. So I know right away that I can't just hang out with you and expect things to happen to me. I have to take action. <clears throat> and when I first came into the rooms, um, I, you know, listened. I thought, you know, all the ideas I was hearing was great. And I expected things to just happen to me. Um, but I, you know, I, I forgive myself for that. And uh, thankfully didn't stay in that space for too long. Um, and the, the other piece of the, this chapter is it talks about why they created this book um, and how addiction really is, it doesn't discriminate. People come from all walks of life. Um, they talk about, you know, we ha we're together and we were people who might not normally mix. Um, so yeah, when I walked in the five years before that, I came in and saw people so different from me, um, saying so many weird things. Um, so I thought, and um, and I think that's why I didn't stay. I wasn't, um, I didn't feel connected yet. I didn't let myself feel connected yet. Later on um, in this chapter or the next one, it talks about being open-minded, and I wasn't there yet. I don't think, but. Um, this chapter also talks about, yes, that we're people who wouldn't normally mix, that, um, but we have a common affliction, and that's what binds us together. Um, but that's not enough. We still have to act. So I'm hearing that again. And, and you know, um, throughout this, this um, whole entire book, it talks about action. Um, and you know, I, I see people in the rooms that are not abstinent. Um, and I think the only reason why that is is they're not working the steps. They're not taking those actions. And I, I thank God every day that I was able to see that and hear it early on in my recovery. Um, let's see. And then um, it goes on to describe um, you know, our very lives depending upon helping others. And that's why we have this book. That's why the book was created, to share it with another compulsive overeater addict. Um, and it's true. I don't think I could have heard this message from anyone else. I tried. I listened to uh, all the diet companies. I listened to the diet doctor when he gave me the diet pills and that little envelope I would get um, when I was 13, maybe, um, and or the exercise companies. Um, but it wasn't another addict talking to me, saying to me, I've experienced this. I've been on my knees. I've hated myself like you hate yourself. I've um, been baffled by this disease like you have. That, that spoke to me, and that's why I think this program works more than anything else I could have ever done. Um, it also, the chapter goes on to describe the difference in drinkers, and again, this is a little bit re repetitive, but um, the moderate drinkers, taking or leaving it. And this morning when I was thinking about speaking to all of you, I thought of my grandfather. He was the epitome of someone who could take things in moderation, and that was always his he preached that all the time anything in moderation he could drink in moderation put it down he could have a dessert and this is an italian family we're talking about so food 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 he never had an issue with um with his weight with eating with drinking none of it um he smoked smoked for i don't know, 
30 years, I don't even know how long he smoked. And one day when he recognized how bad it was for him, he, he was done smoking. That was it, done. Um, and, you know, that, that makes sense to civilians. That makes sense to, you know, people who can do that. I was on my way here and I saw four people get pulled over in a 10 minute time span on the turnpike. I couldn't believe it. They were out and so be careful on your way home. But I, and I was, I'm worried about getting pulled over. I don't want a ticket. I didn't want to be late. Um, so I drove the speed limit, maybe a little over, but nothing that would have gotten me pulled over. And I, you know, I think about that in relation to this disease. That rationally makes sense, made sense to me. I saw the deterrence, the police pulling four people over in 10 minutes. And I responded to that. And I thought about the consequences. And I thought about, okay, and then I also missed my exit getting here. That's why I was a minute or two late. I apologize. And then I wanted to speed. And I realized if I sped and I got pulled over, I'd be later. Or I could hurt somebody or myself, and it's not worth it. And you guys don't want me to speed or get hurt or do all that stuff. So, um, But again, I was able to rationally think about those things. I don't have that part of me when it comes to food. I don't. I don't have a shut-off valve like the alcoholics talk about. They don't have a shut-off valve. I don't have it with food. I don't. Um, and so that's the, that's the difference between a real alcoholic addict. Um, there's the allergy of the body and obsession of the mind. So, you know, right from that first compulsive bite, as Amy was talking about, there, there, I, I can't have that bite because I can't stop. None of, nothing else matters beyond that. That first bite is what gets me and takes me down. Um, and let's see. Um, the bottom of page 22, and my pages are a little different than this book, but um, yeah, bottom of page 22, it says, we are equally positive that once he takes any alcohol, whatever, into his system, something happens both in the bodily and mentally sense, which makes it virtually impossible for him to stop. The experience of any alcoholic will abundantly confirm this. Um, and then I'll just jump a little bit. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. And, you know, we were asked, it talks about why, you know, why can't they drink normally? Why can't you just have one drink or just one bite? Or why did we pick up? Or why? We don't really know. I mean, I could give you all the re I felt happy. I felt sad. I was nervous. I was excited. Um, but it's it, the baffling part of it is that I know what I, even though I know what the consequences might be, there's no, um, I can't slow down and make the decision to, to not speed like I can with, with speeding. Um, I've lost the power of choice. On page 24, it talks about, you know, I've lost the power of choice in drink. Um, the fact is that most alcoholics, for reasons yet obscure, have lost the power of choice in drink. Our so-called willpower becomes practically non-existent. We are un unable at certain times to bring into our consciousness with sufficient force the memory of the suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. We are without defense against that first drink. And that was so true for me. Every time I would diet, lose a little bit of weight, um, or even when I was just trying to moderate without a diet or without a plan or without an exercise plan, um, I, I couldn't bring the thought of the pain that I caused myself with sufficient force to make myself stop. Um, and that baffled me, and I thought I was really broken. Um, and I, I was ashamed, and I you know, hated myself, and went to bed every night crying myself to sleep, praying tomorrow would be different. I never really wanted to give up the food, I just wanted to be thin, though. Um, I would you know, ask God to help me stop eating, but I really didn't want to stop eating 
my, my trigger foods. I have to be honest, that was never truly a part of it until I got into the rooms. And today the miracle is I don't crave any of those foods anymore. And that is such a miracle to me. I, I couldn't have imagined that day, never back then. I just, I didn't think that could ever be possible, ever. And it's just 21 years later, it's still possible um, because of all of you and, the, and this solution. Um, and, you know, I, I remember thinking, um, you know, all the different ways that I would try to give up food or whatever. I, I found this one method that I read a, a whole book on how the um, compulsive overeating has to do with the feeling of being deprived, of being worried that you won't, there's, won't be enough for me. So the, the you know, procedure in, the, in that book was buy all of your foods that you love like ad nauseum, like have a closet full of all of it, over by, over, you know, so it doesn't seem like you'll ever run out of it. Wow. So I did that. I mean, I tried that. Um, I tried it with, um, are we able to mention specific foods? Okay. So I remember Doritos, you know, specifically, and I can't tell you how many I bought. I bought out the store. And I thought, this is so awesome. Um, and, and if I have this and I eat the hell out of it, I won't want it anymore. Really? Um, and maybe that would have worked for somebody that's not like me. Maybe that would have worked for the moderate eater or the, the, um, the problem drinker, the hard drinker they talk about, not the addict. But all that did is make me want it more and more and more. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. Like it, I didn't even get sick of it. I thought I might do that. No, that didn't happen either. Um, so it's, it's amazing the crazy things that we'll do. But... Um, on page 25 in italics, there is a solution. Again, that just um, struck me, and I needed to hear that. I needed the hope. Um, and, and again, it talks about um, action. It immediately talks about action, action self-searching, um, confessions of shortcomings, etc. It gives us a simple kit of spiritual tools laid at our feet, and there's the word spiritual, and I, what the hell does that mean? Um, and when I walked in, and maybe that's why I left the first time too, I heard a lot of God talk, higher power talk, and I couldn't relate to that. I grew up Catholic um, and stopped going to church after I was confirmed, like probably a lot of you. Um, and I never really developed a relationship with a God. Um, and so maybe that's why, I don't know. But in the big book, it then takes us to explain that spiritual experience to Appendix 2, and I think it's important to go over there and, and read Appendix 2 to kind of fully understand that, um, because it was so foreign to me. But the awareness of a power greater than myself, a perf and then it talks about a profound alteration in my reaction to life. So that's a whole new way of living, of thinking, of being. And that's what the steps were giving me. Um, admitting my powerlessness over food, I'd never done that before. I didn't, that was a foreign concept to me. And when I walked in the rooms, it all made sense. And actually, when, when I came in the first time, I read the whole book, the whole OA 12 and 12, and it intellectually made a whole lot of sense. And I thought, oh, okay, I get it, I'm done. And I, don't, I didn't know that I needed to keep working, keep doing, and, and I, I just understood it intellectually. I didn't, there was no action I took other than reading. So, um, um, the action is, is of utmost importance. If I'm not in action, I'm in the food. Um, and then it tells us that willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery. We can't do it without those things. And 
I prayed, I remember many wise sponsors telling me in the beginning, pray for the willingness to be willing. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? Um, but boy, did that make sense. Because when I was first given a food plan, it was so hard for me to stay on it um, because I, I was detoxing. And I, I didn't understand that until I really delved into this and understand it as an allergy of the allergy of the body and, and the obsession of mind also. But, you know, I kept praying for the willingness to be willing to eat my, the breakfast that I wrote down and committed to my sponsor. And then I did that. And then I did it again at lunch because I didn't want to eat that food. I wanted to eat the Doritos in the cabinet. Um, but every time I did it, it got a little easier and a little easier and a little easier. Um, and the more I understood my powerlessness, the, the, the easier it was in a sense. Um, and let's see. So the rest of the chapter, there's a story of the American businessman that has the conversation with his doctor um, and then learns, through, you know, I'm, I'm just quickly um, kind of summarizing that the spiritual experience that he learned was a design for living. Um, and, you know, I thought my problem when I first came in was just about food and weight um, and wanting to be thin. I grew up hearing, you can never be too rich or too thin. Um, and I believed that at the time. Um, but this is all about, you know, in these rooms I learned that I'm not just a compulsive overeater, food addict, but I am controlling. I am um, needy emotionally. I, there was like a black hole in me that couldn't be filled. And I was expecting, you know, my um, significant others to fill that void, which is something I had to fill with a higher power. Um, and when I did that, my relationships improved um, a millionfold. Um, when I qualify and share my story, I talk about the reason why I came back to OA. I, I was married for a year and binging, you know, um, a lot and hiding my food from my husband. Like I was in the kitchen hiding, eating. He didn't give a crap what I ate. Um, he's a normal eater, a civilian. He can leave food on his plate. It always baffles me. He could ask me, you know, do we have any Oreos? Yeah, you have six left in the, you know, bottom left cabinet. And he would, you know, and to him, he, like, it baffled me that he didn't know we had any in the house. Um, so, I, and I kept, you know, eating, thinking, you know, he's out there, and I'm in here hiding from him, and I'm ashamed, and I'm hating myself, and I'm lying to me, to myself, uh, to him. I don't want to start my marriage that way. This is not healthy, and it just triggered, I gotta go back to OA. And I sat down with him and I said that, and he was always, you know, even when I went, went in five years before that, he was supportive of that, whatever you need to do. He didn't, I don't think he understood a lot of it until I was able to kind of share my life as I progressed through the steps. But, um, so I, I, again, so my relationship with my higher power developed and then my relationships with life developed. Um, and the rest of this chapter talks about, you know, the setup of the big book and, and how they, you know, the stories that they share in here, different people's stories, and they're hoping that it doesn't scare anybody away. But it is, it, they're critical stories. Um, and then I'll move on. I don't want to have time I have here. Okay. So I've got to... I'll try to speak more quickly, but more about alcoholism. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, on page 30, one thing that jumped out at me was we had to fully concede to our innermost selves that we were alcoholics, and that's the first step in recovery. Um, I'll never be normal when it comes to food. 
I'll never be normal when it comes to food. I just won't. Um, and I tried and tried and tried and was demoralized every time. And I, I remember um, when I first came, came back to program, it was maybe, I don't know if it was August or September, um, and I didn't really get abstinent until February. So that those months, I was doing what the um, book talks about, like, you know, do some experimenting. See if you can, you know, it talks about try not to drink for a year or whatever. So I was trying to do it my way. I was coming to meetings every week, um, hearing you guys tell me that I had to put down my trigger foods. No, I don't. I can moderate because I have the steps now. I can, you know, do this. And there was a... a I work in a, in a school, I'm a school counselor, and um, the specific school I worked at at the time had these specific cookies that they sold at lunch, and I decided that I could eat one a day. <laughs> and that was my experimenting. That's as, like how I can kind of relate it to the, the alcoholic experimenting. Um, and so I did that for a day or two, but what I noticed was uh, at night when I went to bed, I was thinking about that cookie. I couldn't wait to get up in the morning. I was never so excited to get to work. Um, really, the motivation to get to work for that freaking cookie. Um, so I would have the cookie, and then it became, now I woke up in the morning and was racing to work and had to wait till lunchtime. But I didn't wait till my lunchtime. Eventually, I ate the first lunch period. Maybe that wasn't my lunchtime. Um, and then it became, well, I can have two because they're little. And then that was, so I could see it happening, and I was talking about it at meetings and I didn't have a sponsor yet um, I was you know working the steps not really I was going to meetings reading steps thinking about the steps whatever I wasn't really working the program yet um, and uh, so that I tried my controlled eating and um, I just have this big honest with yourself it's somewhere in here and if I you know as my first sponsor told me tell on yourself you know, every day if you think, you know, something wasn't right, you have to tell on yourself. And the more you do that, the more you learn to be honest with every little thing. Um, so I did that. And by the time I hit, you know, later on when you have to really tell, tell on yourself, um, it was easy for me to, to do the fourth and fifth steps because I was trained at that point to just do this. Um, and that's what kept me abstinent. Um, and uh, let's see. On page 33, the, the story about, you know, the um, once an alcoholic, always an, always an alcoholic, and the story of the man who um, noticed that alcohol was a problem for him, quit, and decided he'd come back to it later on in life. Um, I guess it was 25 years later, then he picked it up after that time, after he retired, and was dead in four years. My disease will kill me. I know it will if I pick up again. I don't have any doubt in my mind anymore, thank God. Because I tried and tried and tried, because I had doubts and doubts and doubts, but I don't anymore. Um, I can't do it alone. I can't do it without a way. I couldn't, by the time I got into program, I couldn't diet for more than a day at the time. It baffled me. Why do I keep doing this to myself? Um, the utter inability on page 34 to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. I had lost the power to choose. I was desperate and baffled. Um, the big book talks about how to help readers determine if they're one of us by describing the mental states that precede a relapse. And um, let's see, the story about the salesman and how he vaguely sensed on page 36 that he wasn't being too smart about putting the whiskey in the milk. I had the vague sense, senses a lot. Um, <laughs> you know, one bite, 
it, it's not a big deal. You know, so I would be, you know, at a family gathering or whatever, and, oh, you can have one piece. Yeah, I can have one piece. After knowing I can have one piece. Mm-hmm. Why does that happen? It's that um, allergy of the body and obsession of the mind. Like, it's just... It's unbelievable. And no matter how, you know, all the knowledge we have, like I knew I would gain weight. I knew I would hate myself tomorrow. I knew that I would have health, develop health problems. My grandmother was diabetic because of this disease was, she passed on. But, you know, I I could see it in front of me, but I was still powerless and I did it again and again and again. And that baffles the hell out of me, still now. That is the definition of insanity. Um, I love the jaywalking example. I won't go into it too much, but that absurdity of that first bite is the same thing. Um, let's see, and then we because our brains and bodies have not been. Oh, okay. So page thirty-nine. There's a chapter in there. Let's see. Okay, so it talks about the moderate person because their brains and bodies have not been damaged as ours were, but the actual or potential alcoholic addict with drink with hardly an exception will be absolutely unable to stop drinking on the basis of self-knowledge. This is a point we wish to emphasize and re-emphasize to smash home upon our alcoholic readers as it has been revealed to us out of bitter experience. So that, I think that's one of the most important paragraphs in this chapter. It has to be smashed home again and again because that's the only way I was able to admit my complete and utter powerlessness over this disease and over my mental obsession and my physical allergy. Um, Let's see here. Okay, and the story about Fred, I'll wrap this up now. Um, He talks about, um, let's see, he thought, after some period of sobriety, um, he thought it would be nice to have a couple of cocktails with dinner. It just popped into his head and he did it. After knowing uh, the devastation that that can cause. Again, these are smart people. Um, It has nothing to do with intelligence. Um, And he analyzed later on that he made no fight whatever against the first drink. There have been times where I fought like hell and still ate. There'd be times where I, I did this. It looks nice, pop in the mouth. That looks good, I'll take some. Or I should be able to have that, damn it. And I'm gonna eat it. Um, And that's how I am with flour and sugar. No amount of willpower or self-knowledge helped me. Um, And again, at the end of this chapter, it talks about, you know, this is a program of action. Um, Let's see. And Fred talks about spiritual principles solving all of his problems and how much more satisfying his life was. And that's the whole, like another, Going back to, you know, this is a revamping of my life, the way I look at the world, the way that I relate with everything, not just food. And it's been such a blessing and a gift. I have three beautiful kids that I have really great relationships with. Um, Not perfect for sure, but God, they would have been so much more toxic if I was in the food. Because it would have been all about me, mom, what I need, not about them and their lives. the blessings I've had with not being controlling in my marriage or controlling with my kids um, because of this it is all about working the 12 steps. And I, I know this is on step one, but um, the last chapter takes us, you know, once more the alcoholic at, I'm sorry, the last paragraph, the, the alcoholic at certain times has no effective mental defense against that first drink. 
except in a few rare cases, neither he nor any other human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from a higher power. And that's, you know, it takes you into step two. But, um, you know, it, it tells us over and over again that we've, we have no effective mental defense against the first bite. And I don't. Thank you. Thank you.